What's the secret to your hair, Dr. Lisa? I get that question so much. And what I have changed recently is using my Nourish Collagen Peptides from the Nourish Balance Thrive line. As you know, before I ever put my name on anything, I test it out for months. And so therefore, I have been using this product for a long time before it ever became available to you guys. Why am I loving this product so much more than any other ones that I've ever used? A, this is grass-fed collagen. So if you are dealing with post-COVID hair loss, if you are dealing with a Hashimoto's diagnosis or a hypo or just low thyroid diagnosis and you're losing your hair, or maybe you're noticing your hair just isn't as thick as it used to be when you were in your 20s, right? There's so many of us noticing that. You might want to add some collagen into your routine. And the Nourish Collagen Peptides is from grass-fed cows, so you're going to love that. You're not going to get all the nasty hormones or whatever else that might be in conventional products. I am always looking for the cleanest source available. What else? If you're looking in the mirror and you're noticing those laugh lines, or if you can pinch your skin and it doesn't like rebound back as fast as it used to, that means the elasticity of your skin just isn't there and we want to rebuild it, nourish it so it can thrive, right? So the Nourish Collagen Peptides will do just that. And obviously as a chiropractor, I love this because it is good for your joint health as well. So Nourish Collagen Peptides has type 1 and type 3 collagen peptides in it, which are great for, like I said, hair, skin, and nails. So if you are dealing with laugh lines or thinning hair or creaky joints, you're going to want to grab a container of the Nourish Collagen Peptides. You can mix it into your smoothies, into your coffee. You can mix it into like your brownies if you're eating that DrLisaO.com, click the shop link or click the link below. Hey, ladies, it's Dr. Lisa Olszewski. I am so excited to share with you this interview that I did with Dr. Jamie Seaman. Dr. Jamie is an OBGYN out of Nebraska. I met her several years back at an exogenous ketone seminar, and we both obviously share a love for keto nutrition and teaching our patients how to implement a low-carb lifestyle because it impacts their life so well, right? So she's going to dig in about hormones because here's the deal. As females, we've all got hormones and nobody's talking about them. So whether we're in our 20s or our 30s, our 40s, 50s, or even beyond, our hormones play a role in our lives every single day. Whether you're in your 20s and you're dealing with things like PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome, or maybe as we transition into perimenopause in our 40s, and then even into menopause later on, there are all sorts of issues that we could be dealing with. And so Dr. Jamie really deep dives into all of that. But the biggest thing that we both agree on is guess what? We as Americans... So many people are overfed and undernourished, and it wreaks havoc on our bodies, not just physically, but all sorts of aspects. So take a listen, deep dive into this with us, and really see how your diet and your lifestyle can impact so many things like your hormones. So I really hope you love this because it was a really great interview. If you're looking for information on how to get the supplements that she spoke about, just check it out right below the podcast here. We've got all of the links and information there for you as well. Enjoy. Hey there, Rockstar. I'm Dr. Lisa Olszewski. I'm so glad you're here. I know you've been struggling for a while trying to figure out why things just aren't changing. I've been there. I get you. I see you. I know how hard you're trying. I'm here to let you know that there's light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm here to teach you the simple steps to becoming that healthy, vibrant you. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hi, 
everybody. I am here with another one of our fantastic speakers. I have Dr. Jamie Seaman to my side, who is a board certified OBGYN. And she also has a great background in nutrition, exercise, and health science. And so she's going to talk to us a little bit today, especially about women's hormones and how they can change throughout our lifetime, but how we can do things naturally as well. So let's just dig right into the subject, Dr. Jamie. Um, let's fill me in. What are some of the hormonal problems that women can end up with or that we deal with, I guess, throughout our lifetime? Thanks, Lisa, for having me here. So as an obstetrician gynecologist, I deal with women on a daily basis who come in with a variety of complaints and a variety of health conditions. A lot of these things are affected by our hormones. Our hormones work as signaling properties within our body, and they affect all of our organ systems. Today, we want to kind of focus a little bit on something called polycystic ovarian syndrome and also kind of on the menopausal transition, because those are really big hitters in the, in the gynecology field. But these can affect anything in our body, things like dementia, diabetes, increased risk of cancer, infertility, poor sleep, acne, the list goes on and on and on. It can affect all of our organ systems and it can really change the way that our health is impacted and our longevity is impacted. I come from a background of exercise, nutrition, and health science. And so I come from a different perspective than most traditional medical doctors. I'm looking at it from an impact of if we have a susceptibility to something, Maybe it is an inheritable trait. Maybe it is a chromosome problem, or maybe it was some intrauterine factor that set us up for these risks. What can we do naturally and through our lifestyle changes to impact our hormone levels and to correct some of these things more naturally? A lot of my patients don't understand that there is a connection between our lifestyle choices and some of these things that we develop. And there are ways that we can optimize our health without the use of medications. Certainly medications have a place. But today we're talking about what we can do to optimize our health more naturally. I love it. So you had mentioned PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome. How would somebody know if they had that? What are some of the symptoms of that? So the incidence of PCOS is, you know, approximately one in 10 women. I think it's probably higher because we know that approximately 70% of the people that have polycystic ovarian syndrome are really actually undiagnosed. And I also think it's really important for people to understand that this is more of a spectrum. There are clear medical criteria, something called the Rotterdam criteria, if you look in any medical literature, on how to diagnose a patient with polycystic ovarian syndrome. And it's really three different criteria. And the patient has to meet two of those. The first one has to be menstrual irregularity. So they have to have absence of periods altogether or they're skipping periods. And so we look at the number of menstrual cycles that a woman has in a 12-month period. The second part of that is something called hyperandrogenism. These are basically increased levels of male-type hormones. And these are the ones that tend to give people the symptoms like facial hair or acne, but they also are wreaking havoc inside the patient's body. The third one is actually the polycystic ovaries. And so if we were to take an ultrasound and look at the patient's ovaries, they tend to have a large amount of very small follicles around the ovary. Now, although a patient is supposed to meet two out of the three criteria to be diagnosed, like I said, it's a spectrum. And some patients won't meet the clear textbook you know, picture of this, but it's still impacting their health. It's impacting their fertility. It's impacting their quality of life. And so I kind of say, throw that out. You know, What are your symptoms? Do we think that you live in this spectrum? And what can we do to fix that? The other thing is I think it's a horrible name for the disease. 
polycystic ovarian syndrome, everybody thinks that it means they have a cyst on their ovary or they have multiple cysts on their ovaries. And sometimes these patients' ovaries look completely normal. So there's been other people that have proposed other names for it, like metabolic reproductive syndrome, which I think might be a little more descriptive of what the disease actually is. But we do think that there probably is some heritable uh, portion of this disease. Now that we've done the human genome product project, we've noticed that there are some certain portions of chromosome two and chromosome nine. So it is possible that this could be some sort of genetic inherited condition, but it doesn't mean that we still can't do things to optimize it. Um, we also know that if your mother had PCOS, you're at a 25% risk of having it yourself. We also know that in families, if a sister has you know, problems or has high levels of the male type hormones, that her sister is also more likely to have it. So clearly there is some sort of genetic component. When I look at things, you know, like genetic inheritable traits or conditions, I tell people it's kind of like carrying around a loaded gun. Just because you have bullets in your gun doesn't mean that it has to fire. So we always talk about the two hit hypothesis. And there's some really interesting research going on with intrauterine nutrition. So actually when a mother is carrying a baby in her womb, her nutrition and her health status actually affect the genetics of her baby. When I tell patients this, the look on their face is just priceless. It's called epigenetics. And we actually have the opportunity to impact the way that those genes are expressed by the way that we um, provide nutrition to our body during pregnancy. And so um, this is just a, an extremely important topic here because if we're talking about a patient with polycystic ovarian syndrome optimizing her health, a lot of these patients are dealing with infertility. And so optimizing it prior to ever conceiving a pregnancy is extremely important because if there is an inheritable trait or gene, optimizing that nutrition inside the uterus and after the baby is born is of the utmost importance for, for that child's life. That is huge. And it's one of those things that I see so many more people talking about now. So like, thank you for adding that component into this. So what are some of the health implications um, when somebody is diagnosed with this? So patients typically will come in complaining of irregular menstrual cycles. This can be really frustrating and can really impact a patient's quality of life. So they may be skipping cycles. They may be having extremely heavy bleeding. They may have um, acne or facial hair that they're having to wax or shave. The high testosterone levels can sometimes call, cause baldness. Um, about 50% of these patients are considered clinically obese. So a lot of them tend to carry a lot of extra body fat. Um, if we check labs on these patients, they tend to have lipid um, abnormalities or high cholesterol and usually really high triglycerides. Um, these patients are at an increased risk for fatty liver disease, obstructive sleep apnea, and over their lifetime, they're at an increased risk for dementia, obesity, and certain types of cancers. So this is a really big deal if we think a patient has this type of disease process. The um, issue also with PCOS is that it's kind of um, a vicious cycle. That's how I like to think about it. So the patients that actually have excess body fat or obesity, um, the obesity causes more insulin resistance. The insulin resistance causes more obesity. And so we have to figure out a way to, to stop this cycle. Also, these patients have, um, there are, this is going to get real sciencey, but I know there's going to be a lot of science people tuning into this Keto 101 Summit, so I want to give them a little bit of information too. Um, how our cycle works is our pituitary gland up inside our brain secretes two things called luteinizing hormone and follicle-stimulating hormone. Patients with polycystic ovarian syndrome tend to have more luteinizing hormone than they do follicle-stimulating hormone. So it's their LH to FSH ratio. Now, this LH causes increased 
androgen secretion from something called the fecal cell in our ovary. And so for people, that really just means that that's what causes those high male type hormones, things like testosterone. Now that actually causes hyperinsulinism as well. And so we can get into this vicious cycle of high male hormones, more insulin, more obesity, more insulin, more male hormones. And so it's that vicious cycle that we're really trying to break. The high insulin wreaks havoc on our body. The insulin causes um, or it inhibits something called sex hormone binding globulin. So the testosterone that we do have circulating in our blood um, cannot be bound up. There's more free testosterone. Um, And it also stimulates more of those male type hormones. It also increases something called CRP or C-reactive protein, which causes whole body inflammation. And we know that inflammation is a huge driver of chronic disease. And that's how it can set us up for a lot of other um, health problems in our lifetime. And then, like I said, the insulin itself can really inhibit these patients from from, um, being able to lose their body fat or lose weight. My patients with PCOS have a really hard time losing weight because of that insulin resistance. Um, it basically, the insulin um, helps with something called the depogenesis. And so it takes those little baby fat cells and helps them mature into, into adult fat cells. And so this vicious cycle, like I said, just creates a lot of problems for these patients. And unless they can figure out how to intervene, um, the cycle can really never be broken. So then what can they do or how can they optimize their health without medications? So the first one that I always talk about is fork over medicine. So we have to talk about this patient's nutrition. People um, are overfed and undernourished in our society and not just the people with PCOS. So I talk about this with all of my patients, but in particular, patients with PCOS can be optimized through a low glycemic diet, a low carb diet, or a ketogenic diet. We won't talk specifically about the nuances in between those things. But what we have established is that insulin and insulin resistance are a huge driver of this disease. And so if we can figure out a way to lower our whole body insulin, these patients um, will see a lot of good effects from this. So in the studies that people have done on polycystic ovarian syndrome, um, most of them are done on a ketogenic diet. So a ketogenic diet is essentially restricting the number of carbohydrates that a patient takes in to try to kick their body into ketogenesis. That allows them to actually use their fat for fuel and to be a ketone burner instead of a sugar burner or a glucose burner. By doing this, we keep our insulin really low and we're trying to break that vicious cycle. In the studies on PCOS, they restricted the subjects in the studies to 20 to 25 grams of carbohydrates per day. This is extremely restrictive. Um, A lot of my patients are consuming upwards of 200, 300 carbs per day. So this is a whole new mindset and a whole new mind shift for them to think about reeling the carbs back in and increasing healthy fats in their diet. When I tell people is you never want to sacrifice your protein, but you have to figure out what horse to ride. It's either high carb, low fat, or low fat, high carb, most patients are actually eating high fat, high carb. So we have to figure out a way to decrease those carbohydrates in the diet that are causing that the spike in the blood sugars. Um, The other thing is avoiding dairy. Um, Our dairy sources in the US tend to have a lot of endocrine disruptors in them. There's a lot of added hormones that have been given to the animals. And a lot of these are extremely inflammatory to my patients. So I also recommend trying to cut back on the use of dairy or really looking at what their dairy sources are, because that can sometimes help with inflammation as well. It also tends to help them lose weight. Um, The other things are 
um, looking at other chemical disruptors um, within our world. So a lot of people don't realize, I just read a new study out looking at the wrappers. Pretend you go to Taco Bell and get a taco. Those wrappers are coated with chemicals and endocrine disruptors. Our water bottles are. People who eat out and who don't eat in their home have a much, much, much more increased risk of chemical and toxin exposure. And so decreasing the risk of exposure to things like BPA um, can really help decrease some of the endocrine disruption that's happening for these patients. Also supplementing with things like exogenous ketones, omega-3s, and zinc tend to help these patients. Um, exercise and specifically resistance training is very helpful for these patients. The good news is people with polycystic ovarian syndrome actually tend to gain muscle very easily because of the higher levels of androgen. And the interesting part of the disease is that the insulin resistance is not in all cells of the body. The insulin resistance in PCOS tends to be in the liver and in the muscle, but it's not in the fat and the ovary. And that's what sends the patient down this vicious pathway. So by adding things like high intensity interval training or weightlifting can really help these patients to build their lean body mass and to decrease their total fat mass. Um, also optimizing sleep. A lot of patients don't realize that our sleep is extremely important to our health. And so looking at their sleep hygiene and trying to figure out how in their life we can get them at least seven to nine hours of sleep per night can be really helpful. Um, the other thing is just decreasing stress. A lot of people, not even just my PCOS patients are very cortisol driven. So looking at things like stress reduction um, through yoga or meditation can be helpful in decreasing um, some of that as well. Um, so going back to this low glycemic or this ketogenic diet, the patients tend to do really well on this diet. I've had so many patients tell me, wow, for the first time in my life, I don't feel like I'm starving. What happens when we use glucose as a fuel source and we rely on insulin as we're riding this train of high insulin and then it brings our blood sugar down and then high insulin and then it brings our blood sugar down. I have an interesting story about one of my patients. So I had a patient come in who had just been feeling so fatigued. She had a menstrual irregularity and she had seen multiple, multiple subspecialists. The endocrinologist actually put this patient on a glucose monitor and had her checking her blood sugars. She didn't appear to have overt diabetes and her blood sugars actually looked very normal throughout the day, but nobody could explain her symptoms. So I had the patient come in for a fasting insulin level. Now the normal insulin level, like the upper limit is somewhere around 45. And this patient had an insulin level of 276. So this just describes to you that your body will try to compensate. It's trying to put out more insulin and more insulin and more insulin and more insulin because the patient had insulin resistance going on in her liver and in her skeletal muscle. And so she was putting out massive amounts of insulin just to deal with the blood sugar that she had. I put this patient on a ketogenic, extremely low carb diet, and we brought her insulin level back down to normal within weeks. So these types of things can be reversed actually very quickly if a patient can adhere to these types of programs and types of lifestyles. I tell people, it's not a diet. This isn't a six-week program. We're not going to cure your PCOS, and then you're just going to go back to doing what you were doing before. If you go back to the things you did before, you'll be the way you've always been. So we really have to see a mind shift in these patients to look at what their lifestyle is, because like I said, we're trying to impact their health long-term, increase their longevity, increase their quality of life um, as they age. And diet is number one for these patients. Medicine certainly has its place and people with PCOS may be prescribed metformin or birth control pills or all these other things. But if they can't fix their diet, I don't feel like those medicines have a place. Those things are good for tweaking and, you know, maybe getting to a place where a patient, you know, she's optimized her diet and we're still having some issues. 
you know, they certainly have their place, but not for all patients. And they're not the first answer. If we can't fix these lifestyle interventions, the patient really will never benefit long-term. We're just putting band-aids on bullet holes. So that's the first thing we always try to do with these patients. Yeah, I agree. And so informative. I love all of this information. So then let's talk about like the other, I don't want to say end of the spectrum, but um, basically when our hormones start to change again. So let's talk a little bit about menopause. So menopause, this is a big one. This is when the patients start coming out of the woodwork. They start having all sorts of symptoms. They have decreasing cognitive function. They can't remember where they put their keys in the morning. They're starting to have joint pain. They're starting to have hot flashes, night sweats, vaginal dryness, a decrease in libido. Um, these patients are suffering. <laughs> so as we go through this hormonal transition, PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome tends to be a disease that we see in people's 20s, 30s, and 40s. And then when they get there into the mid 40s, they have a perimenopausal transition that takes place. The average age of menopause in the United States is at age 51. We also have an extremely large number of patients that are entering this perimenopausal state as the baby boomers are aging. Our elderly population is increasing and we're starting to see more and more and more of this. Now, here's what's interesting. When we look across the world at people who age really successfully, they call these things the blue zones and they look at traits that people do and in these blue zones because they tend to age better than others. The U.S. is not one of those places. Those types of things are things like physical activity, being outdoors, probably higher levels of vitamin D, less stress, less anxiety, and eating more whole foods. So you take a patient that's been eating sugar, processed foods, carbohydrates, they're not exercising, they're cortisol driven, they're not sleeping, and you put them into perimenopause, now things are really bad. So this is a big deal as we enter this transition in our life. There's no way for us to stop perimenopause or menopause. This is part of the, the natural um, progression in a woman's life. But basically what's happening is the ovaries are starting to shut down. We see a drop in estrogen. Um, there is a small amount of estrogen that is secreted as we're in menopause, but um, we tend to be estrogen dominant. And so estrogen and progesterone are two things that really need to be balanced in our life. And we know in menopause, we tend to be estrogen dominant. Now, estrogen helps us store fat um, around kind of our thighs and our buttocks. As that estrogen goes down, we start to store what we call more visceral fat, fat around our organs. And this is what increases the risk for cardiovascular disease. The decrease in estrogen also starts to cause more insulin resistance. So maybe these patients tolerated carbohydrates most of their life, but they hit the perimenopause or the menopausal transition, and now they're becoming very insulin resistant. They're not using glucose efficiently or effectively, and they're starting to notice that their clothes are getting tighter or their size clothes is going up. They can't lose weight as easily. They also start to see a change in their satiety hormones. So normally there is a hormone called leptin that tells us when we're full and ghrelin that tells us when we're hungry. In the menopause transition, we start to see an increase in ghrelin, a decrease in leptin, and a decrease in something called neuropeptide Y that also helps with our, with our hunger. Um, like I said, the biggest thing in these menopausal women is they start to not use glucose efficiently or effectively. Um, and mitochondrial health is another big one because that's the way that our cells make energy. So um, it, that's especially what starts to affect their cognitive function. So the brain does not do well when it can't use glucose efficiently or effectively. In um, 
those types of states, it can use almost 70% of its energy as ketones. So the brain loves ketones. So for these patients, nutrition is extremely important to look at what they are fueling their body and what they're fueling their brain with. Um, We also tend to see an increase in a hormone called myostatin, which is not good for our lean body mass. Um, They start to lose 10% of their lean body mass with every decade of life. Um, which starts to increase that insulin resistance, which starts to affect their basal metabolic rate. And so, like I said, now we're back in one of these vicious cycles again. How do we break these cycles? It's very frustrating for a lot of patients. And um, once again, they don't understand that lifestyle is number one when this happens. We always, patients always come in and asking about hormone replacement. Can you just give me the hormones back and it will fix all these problems? Hormone replacement certainly has a place in women's health. It's not for everyone. And so you should discuss it with your doctor, whether bioidentical hormones are right for you or, or they're not. But lifestyle is number one, just like I would, you know, was talking about the PCOS patients. It can make a huge impact for these patients' symptoms and their quality of life. Okay. So then what can they do naturally? The same, like everything I know that you had just listed, but any specifics with the menopausal that you, that you like to add in for those women? Yeah. So just like when we talked about our PCOS patients, putting these people on a low glycemic, low carb or ketogenic diet can be extremely beneficial because we know that ketones have a lot of properties in the body that can really help us. They help um, increase insulin sensitivity. They help bring the glucose back down inside the brain as we age dementia is caused um by a couple of different things we see lowering of something called bdnf which is basically a growth factor for our brain cells um, a ketogenic diet can help increase bdnf we also see um, there is something called hdac or hdac that changes the way our genes are expressed in our brains um, we know that a ketogenic diet increasing the ketones in the blood can help inhibit hdac which changes our gene expression in our brain These patients will see more energy on a ketogenic diet. They'll have less body fat, less free radicals. They'll help decrease their whole body inflammation. Ketones inhibit a protein complex in our body called NLRP3. It's an inflammasome that increases whole body inflammation and ketones can help inhibit NLRP3. Um, There's also something that really damages our brain cells called um, glycation end products and ketones will help inhibit those as well. Now, um, a ketogenic diet is great. Other ways that they can supplement things like exogenous ketones, green tea, flax, fatty fish, increase in physical activity and stress reduction through things like yoga or meditation. So almost the same things that we talked about in the patients that had PCOS. So you're looking at this, although these are diseases that affect different people at different ages in their life, the answer is, is really the same thing. It's optimizing that nutrition to help our body balance the hormones or the effects from, from the imbalances in the hormones um, better. Now, there's other things that people can incorporate from a dietary standpoint. Things like calorie restriction, intermittent fasting, or prolonged fasting. And this is start, something that's you know starting to get really popular. When we looked at 2017, keto or ketogenic was the most Googled word. Now everyone, the buzzword is talking about intermittent fasting. And basically, these are all ways to help put our body into ketosis and to use ketones as an energy source. In these patients who cannot utilize glucose efficiently or effectively, they can all use ketones. And that's the important thing to understand is as our bodies age, we need to really be you know, specifically looking at our fuel sources. Um, it's, it, it really affects people and it really affects their quality of life. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned exogenous ketones a couple of times. Um, give me a little bit of information on that. 
So exogenous ketones are really new. We didn't know about them prior to 2015, and it's starting to become a question that's asked um, of me from a lot of my patients. So what the ketones are that we make in our body, when you eat low carb and, or you go on a ketogenic diet and you actually get your body to make these ketones by using its fat as a fuel source, the three ketones in our body are acetone, beta-hydroxybutyrate, and acetoacetate. The exogenous ketones that we see um, on the market are beta-hydroxybutyrate. So they're the same thing that your body makes naturally. Now, I think it's important to look at the sourcing if you're using exogenous ketones to make sure they come from a place that does third-party lab testing. Um, we also want the most bioactive, bioidentical exogenous ketone, which is a D-isomer. And so you really need to be looking at your source of your exogenous ketones that you're using because the supplement industry is not regulated. And sometimes these products are fairy dusted or there's additional things in the supplements. And we're not just talking about ketones, even your you know, fish oil supplements and your vitamin D, it's not a regulated industry. And so you really need to be um, paying attention to the sourcing of, of any of your supplements. We talked about some of the effects of ketones. So I think the real question amongst the medical literature is do exogenous ketones have the same effect as endogenous ketones, ones that we make naturally within our body? I do strongly believe that exogenous ketones have a role in these patients with PCOS or in menopause because the ketogenic diet is extremely hard and it's extremely hard to stay in a state of ketosis. There are a bunch of different things at play when we talk about being in ketogenesis. And like, let's just think of me, for example, I yell at my kids, I go in the middle of the night for a delivery out of ketosis, I work out too much out of ketosis, underhydrated out of ketosis. So there's a lot of things that can inhibit us from making those ketones. And so exogenous ketones can kind of help supplement that bridge. They also can be extremely helpful when a patient is starting a ketogenic diet. When patients go from eating 300 carbs per day to 25 carbs per day, they start to feel really horrible for the first couple of weeks. We call it the keto flu, and it's usually caused by dehydration and electrolyte imbalances. And exogenous ketones can really help bridge that gap and make the patient feel better as they're transitioning into more of a ketogenic lifestyle. We also know from the medical literature that um, ketones, there was a worm study that was published last year, showed a 26% increase in lifespan. We know that ketones have an effect on our genes in some form and on our telomeres, these little molecules at the end of our DNA. Um, we know that they um, inhibit that NLRP3 inflammasome. So there's certainly a lot of things going on at a cellular level, even with exogenous ketones. They also help increase insulin sensitivity. And I've seen this firsthand in my clinic. I've had some patients with insulin resistance in even over type one and type two diabetes that have implemented exogenous ketones into their life. And they're seeing a huge reduction in the need for insulin for my type one diabetics. And I have a lot of type two diabetics that have gotten off of insulin off of metformin, off of gliburide, off of their medications completely. I told you about that patient that had that really high insulin. We're seeing these changes actually in a very short amount of time. And so I think it's important that if you're thinking about using exogenous ketones and you have some of these medical conditions that you're working with your medical provider, you know, to get off of those, those medications um, in, a, in a safe manner. There's also some studies going on with Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease with exogenous ketones. And these menopausal women, we talked about the increased risk of dementia and cognitive decline. And so exogenous ketones can really help with some of those symptoms that they have when they go through that menopausal transition. And possibly in our younger patients, they could be protected. We don't know. Exogenous ketones haven't been around long enough, but certainly in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years, it's going to be very interesting to look at what they do over the course of a lifetime with use. Um, it's just too early to kind of tell that. Um, 
amazing things going on with exogenous ketones and certainly um, interesting to watch, uh, you know, my patients experiment with them. Um, they're just, they're a new and exciting area for us um, to look at, you know, ways to avoid medications that have a lot of side effects. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. This was so informative. I appreciate all of the information that you shared, and I know our audience is going to really appreciate it as well, because um, I think, especially with female hormones, a lot of us are dealing with a lot of different things, but nobody wants to talk about it. So thank you for being open and just sharing all of this great information with our entire audience. Um, Is there anything else you want to add? I appreciate this so much, Lisa. This is, like you said, a very important topic and a topic that a lot of patients um, you know, don't talk about. They don't talk to their doctor about. They just think it's part of the normal aging process, or they think they just got PCOS from their mother and they're just destined to have it the rest of their life. So a really, really important issue for women. Um, I am a private practice OBGYN in Omaha, Nebraska. So for any of my local people that are tuning in, I practice at Mid-City OBGYN. And um, I am taking new patients. So you're more than welcome to come see me if you would like a consult. Perfect. How about what's your website? So you can go to midcityobgyn.com and you can find my profile there. Our clinic information is on there and that would be a way that they can um, schedule an appointment. I also do run a Facebook page um, through my exercise nutrition background and that is called Dr. Fit and Fabulous. And so you can certainly find me on Facebook. You can always message me through our page and I'm always happy to help answer questions for people. All right. Thank you so much. I so appreciate your time today. Thanks, Lisa. All content provided by Dr. Lisa Olszewski and her guests in her programs, including this podcast, her website, summits, and other platforms, is for educational and informational purposes only. Always seek the advice of your physician or another qualified health provider before you make any changes to your health routine, especially related to this content. Ask your physician questions about medical conditions. No statement has been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration, and products mentioned or discussed in these programs are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I hear it all the time. How do I get my kids to eat fruits and vegetables? How can I get them to take a multivitamin? Or even for our adults, I hate fruits and vegetables. How do I incorporate some of the great benefits of this? This is why I created the Nourish Super Greens and Super Reds. You are going to love them. They are all organic. You have organic green blend and an organic red antioxidant blend. But what else I love about this? I brought in immune support as well. So we have such amazing superfoods, all of the different mushrooms that are in there, along with digestive enzymes. And you can just mix it into your smoothie. You can mix it into some water, but it tastes good. There are no added sugars. You're going to love it. So just click the link below or go to drlisao.com and click the shop button.